Hi, everyone. Welcome to Health 101. And again, we're talking about a subject that I think a lot of people want to hear, but not everyone wants to admit to wanting to hear about it. Plastic surgery. Whether you say out loud you would like a little nip and tuck or whether you would like a lot done, everyone's very fascinated about it. And so we brought in the expert, Katie Hans is here, to talk to us about exactly what you should know about, what you should think about, what's realistic in your minds, and what happens when it goes wrong. Because we've all watched Botched, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's get started right now. And Katie, I have a question because I know that there is the surgical part of plastic surgery, and then there's also the fillers and the Botox that is kind of the derm part. Yeah. And then I think some people get really confused about when do I see a dermatologist? When do I see a plastic surgeon? Is there some way you kind of differentiate it for people in their thought process? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely the surgical procedures, and uh, that's definitely in the plastic surgery well, realm. Um but all the non-invasive things, the Botox, the fillers, there's a lot of people who um, who can perform those types of procedures. It doesn't always have to be a physician either. There's, you know, mid-level providers that can do it, nurses that can do it. And so there's a lot of people that um, do that. And, um, uh, you know, who to go to might be something to consider too. So I would go to somebody who does it frequently or, you know, they have a lot of med spas and people that do it frequently that are probably pretty good at it. Um, but if you're going to be undergoing the knife and doing an actual surgical procedure, I would go to more of a plastic surgeon. Although there's, again, a lot of people out there who might be able to do them technically, but should they? <laughs> well, I and, I and I think that's one of those things that people have the fear of. But let's talk about the serious part of plastic surgery in the sense that there is a lot of plastic surgery that is necessity. And I think I get the question asked by friends or we have discussions where their child breaks and gashes something on their face, you know, you get in a car accident. At what point do you ask for a plastic surgery consult if you get taken f to the ER or to the emergency room for something and you're afraid of scarring? Sure. Uh, and there's definitely some places that are cosmetically more sensitive. So maybe the face or somewhere where the scar might be more noticeable. Um, and, you know, ER doctors are very good about repairing a lot of simple lacerations. Um, I think plastic surgery is a good option if it's something that you think will be very noticeable um, or if it's a more complex where maybe it's kind of a jagged laceration or um, where it might be close to like the eyelid or somewhere where you kind of worry about functional problems too, or the lip. And um, so I think plastic surgery consult is very reasonable for a lot of those things where um, it might take more expertise to line it up properly or know if it needs to be debrided before it can be closed. Or um, sometimes you have to take it to the operating room if it's very complex. So uh, I, I would say anything that's a little bit more than just a simple laceration would be good for plastic surgery to, to handle. And at what point can you fix a scar? So if, you know, if you, if you had a car accident mm -hmm. and, and you have a jagged edge and you hate looking at it somewhere on your body or... I, I think the important thing to realize is that scars will change for a year after they're formed. And so scars will remodel themselves quite a bit. And there's a lot of um, opportunities 
early on when the scar is being formed to improve on them. I think a lot of times a scar might not look good as, you know, at first, but you give it a few months or you do some scar massaging or you use a silicone patch or something. Um, and the scar will actually get a lot better with time. Um, and so usually if we're going to do a scar revision, we might wait close to a year before we consider doing it unless we know that it won't get much better just with some massaging or things like that. So usually, um, a little bit of time, a few months at least after a scar is formed before we look at doing that because there's also a lot of inflammatory changes around the scar. So it actually makes it a little bit more difficult to do a scar revision too early on. So waiting several months is usually necessary. And the skin does take quite a while to heal. Mm -hmm. What it really looks like a year from now is so very different from, especially as you continue to kind of exfoliate and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, They'll usually get lighter in color and um, they usually flatten out a little bit, but sometimes it can widen with time too. So sometimes a scar might look good for the first week or two. And then as it goes through um, healing or if if it's on a place that moves a lot, like an arm or a leg, um, it might actually widen with more time. And so sometimes scars can look okay at first and get worse with time, or sometimes they'll look bad at first and then end up looking a little bit better with more time. So I have to ask, what is the toughest surgery in terms of an outcome where you don't see a scar? And I think about, I think a lot of my friends ask that in sense of, is it your neck because of where you can tuck? Is it your underarm, that flabbiness under your arms because there's no (laughs) seam, so to speak, to, you know, is there a spot where you say that is the most challenging place to do plastic surgery? Uh, uh, a lot of times I think on the face, it's very noticeable. Um, and you know, people might be looking for them, especially if they suspect you might've had some work done. And when we work on the face, we try to hide the scars in places where people won't see them like along a hairline or right in front of the ear. Um, and so we, we try to camouflage them, but I think, especially if you're doing a lot of reconstructive procedures, like if someone has a skin cancer you're trying to remove, you know, you try to line up the scar. I think it's just a lot more, people worry about it more too. So there's a little bit more pressure on you to make sure you give them a good scar. So I would say the face is a little bit more challenging um, compared to other parts of the bodies. But when you look at doing, you know, big skin removal procedures for people who've lost a lot of weight, the arms and legs are definitely hard to hide Uh you know, if people want to wear short sleeves, the, the scar is going to show. And I always tell people that too. I say, you know, it's a trade-off. You can't remove the skin without leaving a scar. And the scar is always in a place that will probably show if you don't wear long sleeves. So, but you know, it's, it's a trade-off and people are always kind of understanding about that too. Because that's the other thing I think about plastic surgery. We see a lot of celebrity photos. We see a lot of TV shows that talk about plastic surgery or that show the before and afters. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people have this idea in their mind that you can look completely, <laughs> ama- you know, the, 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 and, and I, I'm not sure that's a realistic expectation. No, no. I, yeah. We'll, we have a lot of patients that'll come in and they'll bring pictures from Instagram <laughs> or pictures from a magazine and they'll say, this is, this is how I want my face to look. This is how I want my nose to look. I want my lips to look like this or if someone's considering some breast surgery, this is how I want my breast to look. And I'll, I'll and I'll say, well, sometimes we can get close to that, but it really start, it depends on what they start off with. Um, sometimes I like to say, well, this isn't Burger King. You can't have it your way, or this is not a, a fast food menu or something where you can just pick what you want. It, you know, it really, really depends on what you start off with. And, you know, there's some people that I just say, that's not a realistic expectation. Uh, you can't start off with that and end up with that. 
So it's a little bit funny. So I think just making sure that you set expectations ahead of time. Um, but yeah, there's so much social media now where there's a lot of pressure for people to look, you know, like a filter and it's not realistic. Uh, so it's, it's, I don't know. <laughs> right. Cause there's the, there's the living Barbie dolls. That was for a thing for a while. And, you know, and, and I guess how much of that is, okay, if you have a slim build, you're not going to be a, you can be a double D, but you're not going to be, wear a double D well, it's not going to frame wide, fall over. right? <laughs> or, you know, or that your face bone structure won't allow you exactly. to have a giant bridge nose center point, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and yeah, it's, uh, sometimes it might take more than one procedure to get there too. I think sometimes you might be able to eventually achieve, um, you know, a certain look, but you might not be able to go from zero to a hundred, you might have to kind of do it in stages. Like I, I kind of think about that with like lip fillers too. I tell a lot of people that, that it's hard to go from having very thin lips to having very, very large lips, especially in just one injection. Sometimes it takes multiple ones to kind of build it up slowly over time. Or, um, some people it's not realistic to, to go from an A cup to a double D cup. You might take a, you know, a couple of times to, to gradually make bigger implants to, to get there. Um, so again, just making sure that people are being a little bit realistic with their expectations. And what advice would you give? I know there are a lot of people, as we all know, because the beauty industry is selling like hotcakes, anything that says anti-aging. Mm. <laughs> and and so if you're doing, if you're looking at some of this in terms of anti-aging, and I know that I had heard at one point, a lot of people had said start doing Botox in your 30s before the wrinkle even starts. Um, what is it you would say think about now and that will hold you well in aging later if there are some things you want tweaked. Yeah. Uh, you're talking to somebody who started Botox in their 30s. Really? Because, yeah. yeah it's, it's a true thing. Um, I would, I mean, unfortunately people will come when they're in their 60s and say, oh, my skin is horrible. I have all these wrinkles. What can I do now? And yeah, it's a lot more challenging versus if you start early and just take good care of your skin and you'll need less maintenance and um, just sunscreen and keeping hydrated. And it is true that if you start Botox early, then you might prevent ever developing wrinkles. So there, there is some truth to that. But, um, you know, once you get to a certain point, it's really hard to reverse age. And then it might take, you know, laser treatment or fillers or, um, you know, chemical peels or a little bit more drastic things to kind of try to improve on their looks. So just starting early is, is better. Always taking good care of your skin, avoid you know, UV exposure, smoking is bad for the skin. So um, just knowing what's right from an early age is way easier than trying to fix it 20, 30 years down the road. And when I look at what is still popular, I was just looking, because I, I always look every year at the top um, plastic surgery procedures mm-hmm. in the US. And I'm always kind of fascinated that breast implants still are huge. And I realize mm-hmm. some people do it because they survive breast cancer and that becomes part yeah. of the reconstructive process. Yeah. And that's a whole different, I mean, yeah. breast augmentation and breast reconstruction are very different. They both, both involve implants, but they're totally different surgeries, different recoveries, different expectations, different complications. So even though they're both implants, they're very, very different. But yeah, breast augmentation is still very, very popular to do. Um, I think a lot of people I mean, it's it's actually more popular for people to have had changes in their breasts with aging or breastfeeding, um, and people kind of look into restoring their breasts or trying to get them back to how they used to look before they had kids. Um, that's a lot more um, 
prevalent than people who are really, really young trying to just make them larger. So, uh, but that happens as well. I think people, you know, who um, had a little bit smaller breasts and they wanted them to be larger, they wanted to feel better about themselves. It still is a very popular procedure to undergo. Or again, people just want to look how they used to look before they had kids. And there, but there continues to be, I don't know if you call them issues, but concerns, because, you know, obviously back in the day, there was all those concerns about the um, silicone implants. Mm-hmm. They took those off the markets, and then they came back onto the market with what is the equivalent of a gummy interior, mm-hmm. kind of. And now there's the new problem with the ridged or the textured. The textured implants. Yeah. yeah there's, there's been, I mean, a lot of changes to implants over the years. Um, you were talking about the moratorium they had on, on the silicone implants that they were taken off the market in 91 because there were some concerns about, well, if these implants are rupturing, what's happening? Is it causing health issues? And so they were all taken off the market for a number of years. Um, and in the meantime, they were doing long-term safety studies on them to make sure, well, are these safe to be put in, inside of people? So for a long time, people could only uh, get saline implants. And then after doing enough safety studies, the FDA allowed silicone to be back on the market again in, in 2006. And so we use both nowadays, the saline and the silicone, um, and we believe that they're both equally safe. Um, and, um, they have each, you know, pros and cons to them. Um, but you were also mentioning the textured implants. Now those got taken off the market in August this year because, um, so implants can come in saline and silicone and that's the fill on the inside. Uh, but the shell on the outside, it's a silicone shell, but, uh, it can be either smooth or it could be textured. And they found that the textured implants were causing problems in some patients. There's, it's been very, very rare, but they believe that the um, textured implants had caused a lymphoma in a number of patients. And that number keeps going up. Um, so every few months, they kind of release the latest data. And the very latest, as of October 25th, was that there have been uh, 809 cases of this, they call it breast implant associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma. Uh, it's a type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but there's been 809 cases worldwide. And in the U S there's been 309 cases. Um, and so there was enough concern about that, that they took, um, well, one implant company, I should say, um, voluntarily recalled their implants from the market. There's a couple of other companies that have not recalled their textured implants, uh, because their method of texturing was a little bit different and it didn't have as many cases of that lymphoma forming. So I'm not sure if they will end up taking theirs off the market or not. As of right now, they have not. Um, but it was enough concern that they removed them. And, and so now we have a lot of patients who come to us who have this textured implant in and they want to know what to do about it. Um, and right now the FDA is not telling people that they have to remove them or replace them. Um, they're saying just be aware of what to watch for, um, or if you have symptoms that you should definitely look into doing surgery to replace them. Uh, and the symptoms are usually a sudden swelling of the breast or you get a fluid correct collecting around the implant. Some people would get, um, like a mass or a nodule on the capsule or that scar layer around the implant. Um, and some people might get like some hardness or pain. So there can be some more vague symptoms too, but, um, yeah, I think, it's such a hot topic right now that most plastic surgeons are very aware of what to watch for and how to appropriately work it up. And they have to test the fluid. They don't jump to surgery right away. They might need some imaging studies done. Um, but again, it's very rare. They're saying that the chance of developing it is somewhere between 
one in three thousand to one in eighty six thousand, which so that's a huge very range. very. <laughs> if I went to Vegas with those odds, I would bet very differently on those numbers. So I I hate that they give us such a wide range, and it might have something to do with what type of implant they have in or which company's implant, but. Um, the, the risk of undergoing a surgery, they say that, you know, there's always complication possibilities with surgery. So they're saying your risk of having a complication from surgery is probably higher than your risk of ever developing that lymphoma. So that's why they're not telling people that everybody should go and, and replace them, at least not at this point. Um, but it's definitely a, a, a big worry in people's minds if they have that type in. So it, it'll be interesting to see what else comes of it. And, um, the FDA also recently talked about like, well, do we need to have more safety talks with patients who are thinking about getting breast implants? And they talked about maybe putting a black box warning on the implants or having an actual physical checklist that the doctors need to go over with the patients. And and again, this is something that's really just coming up in the last couple of weeks. And the American Society of Plastic Surgery has until December 23rd to really respond to that and to see, you know, what their official statement's going to be too. So it's an ever-evolving topic, um, and it'll, it'll again, be kind of interesting to see what is going to happen in the next several months as well. Plastic surgery is an ever-evolving topic. I mean, the whole specialty, I feel like, really has come into its own the last 30 years, 20, 30 years and um, and now there are so many things you can do and so many lasers and so many that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, is there how much of this am I going to be able to take home and do all over, you know, whether I'm lasering <laughs> my body for the lipo and whether I, you know, I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, I, people have to remember there's still some safety issues with doing it. And there's safety issues of doing lasers and things like that, even in a medical professional's hands. And, and not every laser is good for every person. And so I'm not really sure how much of it will ever enter into someone's home. Uh, but, you know, they might get some, you know, things like micro needling or kind of making very small, you know, wounds in the skin and then putting serums on it, things like that, you know, are now available for people to use at home. And so there are some kind of small things that, you know, people can get available to, you know, to use at home. So it'll, yeah, who knows what will be available, but some bigger things, again, I think are always left best to the professionals because there's always risks of doing them. And are you seeing more people or more interest in using Fat, your own fat as filler? Mm-hmm. Um, fat transplants or fat grafting. Um, it's big, but it's also one of those things that people are kind of taking a little step back now and trying to, again, look at the safety of it. Um, there's the Brazilian butt lift, they would call it, where they do liposuction from the waist or abdomen and transfer it into the butt. But there's been some serious complications and deaths from it. And so um, I think a lot of people are kind of stepping back a little bit and seeing, well, is this going to be a safe thing to do? Um, the big risk is, do you inject some of the fat into like an artery and can people die oh. from it and, or, you know, get really bad complications from it? So, um, so I think, you know, doing it in small amounts to certain areas might be okay. I know it was popular also for a while to think about doing a breast augmentation with just fat injections. And again, uh, I don't particularly like doing that option just because if you put too much fat in, in in one area and the fat cells don't get a new blood supply to them, can they get what's called necrosis? And you can get fat necrosis, which might look like little calcifications. And again, if you get calcifications in your breasts, is that going to look different on your mammogram? Is it going to cause safety issues? Are you going to need biopsies? If you form a little nodule because some of that fat calcifies, well, who wants to have a palpable, you know, mass in your breast and then do that to biopsy it, cut it out. So there's a lot of 
things to consider. Um, I tend to use the fat transfers or the fat grafting in a lot of my breast reconstruction patients where you have a small area to fill in that the implant doesn't fill out itself. Um, so again, you can do it, but should you do it or is there some safety concerns for it? So I think it, again, that Brazilian butt lift was kind of something that was very popular for a while, but I think a lot of people now are just kind of second guessing whether or not we should be doing it. Right. Because the assumption was it's, it's in your body anyway. And yeah. so it should just absorb in and be natural. Yeah. And again, <laughs> and, and is that better than an implant? Right. Or, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, again, it's a theoretical, it's a great idea, but there's always those risks of doing it and and especially doing it in the buttock. I think there's a very strong, you know, caution now to, to, for people to be doing that. If people want to, and, you know, I, I know that as they have special events in their lives or that they come on vacations and they think about, oh, you know, and I think the mommy makeovers have been huge mm-hmm. for women who, after having children, trying to kind of re-sculpt their skin – what should they think about when they're thinking about doing some of these elective procedures? Mm-hmm. What should uh, they be weighing? I think the biggest thing to consider is the recovery, um, either the time or what the restrictions might be afterwards. Uh, I would say if people are planning on doing any sort of a surgery for an event, like a wedding or um, before a vacation or before a class reunion or, or anything like that, will you have bruising? Will you have swelling? Will there be... Um, you know, complications you have to consider. And so usually when I tell people, hey, if you're doing it for an event, maybe think about doing it at least three months before the event so that you're totally healed, all the swelling has gone down, you're feeling up for it, your energy's back, uh, you know, before a big event. If it's little things like Botox or fillers, the biggest thing as well, are you going to have bruising? And so you might want to do it at least a few weeks, a few weeks to a month before an event. Um, but in terms of like mommy makeovers or um, things like that, you might have six weeks where you're not allowed to lift 10 pounds. And so if you're still, you know, have a toddler or somebody that you have to lift out of a crib or into a car seat or something, will you either be able to do that yourself? Do you have to ha- do you have enough help to help you lift heavy things? You can't exercise for a while afterwards. So is it a good time in your life to be pursuing that? I think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I just had my kids. I, I feel terrible about myself. I'm just going to jump in and do surgery. Well, that might not be the best timing. Or what if you do have a complication? Are you going to be able to care for your kids afterwards? Or, you know, if you have an infection, are you going to have to take antibiotics? Or, you know, there's, I always tell people, just think about what could potentially happen. um, And is that okay in this time of your life? And when you're picking a plastic surgeon, is it okay to ask for before and afters? Is it okay to ask for, because I, I feel like lately we have seen some people maybe not so qualified to do plastic surgery, (laughs) do them and seem some outcomes. And I think about it in the sense of, oh my gosh, if I had saw that as a patient or a potential patient, I would have run out the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, most plastic surgeons will have some before and after pictures available to look at. Um, and, but I think the biggest thing when you're picking a plastic surgeon is make sure that they are qualified, make sure that they are a board certified plastic surgeon. Um, there are, Again, there are so many people out there who can do the procedures. Maybe they took a weekend course to learn how to do it. And it's very tricky. And I think that they intentionally try to trick people into confusing them about what their qualifications are. People will put, oh, I am a certified cosmetic surgeon. Well, certified in what? Or who certified you? Was it a weekend course where you got a certification to learn how to do a breast augmentation? You know, are you are you even a surgeon? There's some people who are 
not surgeons who are physicians who did an extra training just to do some cosmetic procedures, but that's not the same as doing six to eight years of surgical residency and plastic surgery and taking the board exams and keeping your certification. And so, I mean, you know, someone who can say that they are board certified in plastic and reconstructive surgery have gone through grueling training and are the most qualified people. And it's not that they don't have complications too, but Again, they know how to do the procedures properly. They know how to manage the complications, most importantly. Um, and so just be very careful about who you choose. But yes, most surgeons will have some pictures for you to review too. Um, and knowing that some surgeons might do a lot of one type of procedure, but maybe they don't do another type of procedure as much. And so asking them, you know, how many of these procedures do you do a lot? Do you, you know, feel comfortable doing it? Because not all surgeons are the same. No, that's really, really important, especially if it's something you're choosing because you want to feel better. Yes. Okay. So now I have the question of, can you be addicted to plastic surgery? <laughs> we had that discussion, you know, because <laughs> there are some celebrities who <laughs> we fear might have some issues with that. Yeah. I, you know, I think people can be addicted to just about anything, including plastic surgery. I think people can be addicted to social mm -hmm. media. Their phones can be addicted to alcohol, drugs. I mean, it people will get that rush of like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better about myself. So let me get to the next, you know, check mark in my box. I want to do this now. I want to do this. I want to do this. And they might have a laundry list or, you know, and, but sometimes you see these patients who um, either have unrealistic expectations or who you think might never be happy no matter what you do. And again, those are the type of people you have to kind of be careful about operating on too, because they may never be happy with their results. They may keep seeking out more surgery, trying to find this perfection that may never happen. And will you ever actually make them happy? Are there ever any patients who come in and you think, oh my gosh, you're gorgeous. You're perfect the way you are. And yeah. that you're somehow not happy with something that you have. And you're kind of surprised by what they're unhappy with. Yeah, that happens all the time. Uh, and again, that's the type of patient where you're like, will I make you happy yeah. if you're already look great and you have some minor flaw and they might obsess over it. That's, that's one of those warnings where you're like, maybe I shouldn't operate on this patient because I might do something and they might think they look worse afterwards. So yeah, carefully selecting who to operate on and who not to, or just saying, look, I don't think that it's as big of a problem as what you think. And I don't think I can make you happy. And how, how much do you watch Botched? How much do you watch <laughs> some of those shows? You I know? love those shows. <laughs> do you really? So you watch them even I though do, they, you see them. And do any of them make you cringe? Do any of them make you go, how in the world did that happen? Versus, you know, because there are some of those, I'm like, there some is the no way. Some of the horror stories are pretty bad. But, you know, and also some of those shows, you're also like, who, like, they, they are seeking out the craziest of the crazy patients right. out there. And this is not what usually comes into my office. You know, they... Uh, they do some some great surgeries on there. They do fix a lot of bad complications that happen. Um, and so I do enjoy watching it for that aspect, being like, gosh, they, they took something that was pretty botched and they made it look very normal again. Um, but then they have the people who are like, I want to look like an alien. <laughs> and you know, you're like, oh, gosh, this is not realistic. This is not what happens. <laughs> but do you get some of those patients who want Not as much. People ask me that all fixed. the time. People are like, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? And I'm like... <laughs> I do pretty normal stuff. Like I don't, I don't get that crazy. And maybe it's just being where I'm at or, um, I don't know, but I, I don't tend to see a lot of the really, you know, outlandish things that are on some of those shows. Because at the end of the day, most people, if you're going to pay for it, especially you want to just look your best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most people want to look their best. And then you got the occasional person that you see on these shows that want to look like, 
a celebrity or want to look like an alien or mm-hmm. who want to remove ribs to make their waist eight inches or, you know, they're, yeah. So, but most people I think are not like that. Most people have pretty realistic expectations of just trying to look the best that they can look. And not everybody will look the same. It's not like you can make every single body or breast or stomach look the same because not everybody has the same build. Not everybody has the same bone structure. Um, So, you know, you can't, not everybody can look the same afterwards. When you predict out for the what's coming up next in plastic surgery or what you think people are going or what's being developed, what gets you the most excited? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say some of the like non-invasive stuff, some of the laser, some of the skincare kind of stuff. And um, there's always new ones on the horizon. I'm still waiting for somebody to get a great cellulite treatment. There's things that I'm like, I went, I can't wait until something's good out there for me. I want to do this or that. But um, I, I still have some hopes for some more of the non-invasive, non-surgical kind of things that might come out with some lasers. So um, still waiting. <laughs> and we're waiting too. Yeah. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, if you're looking for a physician, you go to omahamedical.com. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you. A Parkville Media Production. The information shared in this podcast is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the presenters and do not represent the thoughts, advice, or opinions of the Metro Omaha Medical Society. The information contained in this podcast should not serve as the basis for any medical treatment and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical advice. Before making changes to your health care plan or a loved one's, always consult with a health care professional.